This week, Toby and I discuss the latest in film and TV news, including Gareth Edwards' appointment as director of the upcoming Jurassic Park film. We also discuss the winners of this year's SAG Awards, as well as end by discussing Denis Villeneuve's 2021 film Dune in preparation for Dune Part 2. Stay tuned for more. Hello and welcome back to The Clap Podcast. We're here on our third episode to talk about all things film and TV. How are you, Toby? Yeah, I'm alright. Um, so we're back at uni now, I think both of us, so we're struggling a little bit to watch as much uh, film and television as we perhaps have in the past. Um, but some very exciting news coming up, we've got June 2, which we're obviously both very excited for. We are indeed, we are indeed. Um, yep, back to, the, back to the books for you, back to the cameras for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. our uni lifestyle is very different, but um, yeah, we are very excited to talk about some of the news this week, as well as some of the things we've watched, but I, I think we're just really keen for June Part 2, as I'm sure the rest of the world is, but there is some good news for the rest of the year and beyond that we are really excited to get into. So Toby, tell me, what have you seen this week? Um, so I've watched a couple of things. I, uh, watched a film that I've watched before. It's called His House. Never it's heard a, of it. Interesting. It's a horror film on Netflix. Um, it's, it's just about, uh, asylum seekers, or a, a family of asylum seekers who, uh, seek asylum in the UK. Um, and they get granted a house that they can live in and obviously it's haunted and lots of terrible things happen. It's a really good watch. Um, I would recommend it. It actually did get me jump scared a couple of times. I think I was watching it at like 12 at night though, so that might have been part of it. <laughs> um, the other one that I've watched is the new Avatar The Last Airbender live action series. A lot of people are talking about this one. Yes, so I'm two two episodes into that one. Came out five, six days ago now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I only started watching it recently. I'm a huge fan of the original animated series. It's not quite living up to that just yet. I've heard people say that it gets like better later on, um, but I always struggle with like, child actors i just feel like they struggle with delivering a convincing performance a lot of the time um not to say that these actors are terrible i've seen worse performances but um yeah it's just drudging through until hopefully it gets better um for the time being and then of course at any given point in time i'm watching naruto so i've been watching that a little bit as well how about yourself yeah oh that some great options there um i have rewatched three films this week when i say rewatched i mean sorry i've rewatched two and I've seen one for the first time. Uh, so I rewatched the Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, a film I'm personally a fan of. I know it's got mixed reviews. Some people love it, some people hate it. I find it really enjoyable. I think it lives up to the other ones, and it's a perfect addition to the franchise. I think it's really enjoyable. Um, I also rewatched Dune for our discussion later on in the episode. Yep. So I'm really excited to talk about that one. But the new film I've seen this week, which is an older one now, but I watched X Men Origins Wolverine to keep up with the X-Men uh, rewatch that I'm doing. And um, look, this one, it doesn't hold up with the other ones. It really doesn't. Um, but it has some enjoyable moments. And it's very fascinating for me as someone who, who is really excited for Deadpool 3, who doesn't know about the origin of the character. Um, it's really good to watch um, Deadpool um, in X-Men Origins. So, so this is one where he's got his mouth. It so is shot. the one where he's got his, I, so I his weapon eleven. It. Yeah. Um, and now I think that bit's really interesting to look at how the mutant, mutants are treated, and the conclusion of Wolverine's character in this film, and then how that precedes the rest of the um, X Men films. Sure. So really interesting. Adds a lot of characterization to Hugh Jackman. 
and um his character as Wolverine. But um I, I don't think it's a film I'd rewatch, but I'm glad I I did to get context for the later films that I do really enjoy. Sure. Um, why don't we get into the the news of the week? I think you're excited to talk about this one. You're a big fan of the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies. Yeah. I, I mean, I really enjoyed the first one. I think that is a masterpiece. One of my favorite films of all time. Can, can I just... the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World? Jurassic Park. Park. The Steven Spielberg, the original film. Masterpiece. Near perfect film. I love it. Yeah. The films that precede it, the second Jurassic Park, is an enjoyable watch. Yeah. I don't think it holds up, but it's enjoyable. No. Third one... I don't really like to talk about that one that often. I don't. I try not to rewatch it. Um, you try not to rewatch it. yet. strung but, back every time. But I do enjoy going through the series again. So yeah. I always find myself coming back to it because I do enjoy a Jurassic Park rewatch. Yeah. Um. But I do. I am a defender of the first Jurassic World. I do think that's an enjoyable watch. And then the other ones after that are just fun popcorn. Yeah. Blockbusters. But this is very interesting to me because I really didn't know where they were going to go from the end of Dominion. So, Gareth Edwards is set to direct the new Jurassic World movie. Now, for those of you who don't know who um, Gareth Edwards is, he's been talked about a lot recently because his latest film, The Creator, came out last year. Oh, yeah. So, that has been nominated for Best VFX at the Oscars. Yep. But he also did films like the 2014 Godzilla, which obviously had Brian Cranston in it. And he also did Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, which has been a really popular Star Wars film in the new generation of star wars yeah some big films for sure since, since it's um lucasfilm's acquisition by disney that was a that was a big star wars film so the new jurassic world film is scheduled for july 2nd 2025 that bit scares me a bit yeah that is not a lot of time to go from script to pre-production to production to post-production and, and release yeah that's a quick turnaround of a completely new massive blockbuster yeah um Another thing that was interesting was David Leach was actually on board to direct the film, but he uh, dropped out over creative differences with the studio. Sure. Okay. Um, but ultimately, I think Gareth Edwards is a great choice. He used to be a VFX artist before he became a director. So he really understands how to blend great um, imagery and great story with VFX. And so I think he's a good addition to add to such a spectacle that is the Jurassic World films. Sure. Um, but I'm really excited for this one. I do, I'm interested to know where they're going to go with the Jurassic World series. And I think that's the part I need to get before I get really excited. But I think on paper, the stars are aligning and everything looks like it could go in a good direction. Yeah. But again, as we've spoken about in previous episodes, it's a lot of sequels and spinoffs and all that. Not all of them have lived up. No. Um, but I do think with the right director and the right writing team behind it, and I believe... Um, one of the writers of the original Jurassic Park is coming back okay. to do this film. And I think that could be a really great addition to the cast and crew as well. Sure. So um, I'm interested in this one. Yeah, no. Um, I can't say I was a huge fan of Dominion. Was that the latest one? Yes. Look, I, I got a little lost in perhaps what they might call the plot. Um. <laughs> well, I like it when my plot involves dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, you can only there's only so many times you can go like, dinosaur distraction from other things i feel like yeah you still got to tell a compelling story uh, and that's what really... the first film does so well yeah yeah it really because does you ha do have engaging characters but it doesn't remove the dinosaurs yeah. from the spectacle and the, the focus of the film um but yeah i i also went and saw the creator with you yeah um, we did 
I thought the visual effects was obviously stunning and it, it's worthwhile um, being mentioned. I wasn't a huge fan of the plot once again, so I'm a little worried about this one. You're a little more negative on that film than me. I, I yeah. was a bit of a defender of it. I really did enjoy it, but I agree with you. But I also think it's a, it's a drastic film. You know, at the end of the day, there's certain things that the audiences want. I do trust Gareth Edwards to bring an intriguing story because he did with Godzilla and he did with Rogue One. So I, I understand your, your issues with the creator, but I, I still think he's a great choice for this film. Yeah, big, big dinosaur should be okay, shouldn't it? Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. And of course, related to that, we have the Jurassic Park Survivor game in development by Konami. So that's quite exciting for fans of the franchise and gamers as well that we've got a big new Jurassic Park game coming out. Someone in the near future, we're hoping anyway. Sure. So moving on to other news, Avengers 5 will no longer be called Avengers the Kang Dynasty, mm. as previously announced. Uh, obviously, this was after the poor performance of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which really disappointed the box office and um, critically. And of course, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the issues with Jonathan Majors. And I mean, we knew they were going to go in a new direction, but the announcement that... Uh, that that title has been completely changed is very interesting and kind of proves that, I mean, the idea of Kang in this MCU is basically being forgotten now. Yeah, I think putting the controversy with Jonathan Majors aside, I, I didn't feel Kang was all that compelling of a villain. We went and saw Ant-Man. We did. And we both, we didn't enjoy it, did no, we? No, we really didn't. That was one that we had to like drag ourselves through to get to the end. And it, it did that feel like one of those watch. films that you had to watch just so that you knew what characters were going to be in the next sequent like films. Like it's, and I, I just can't. It's an MCU film that physically frustrated me in the movie. Like you and I both were tensing at decisions that were being made. Yeah, and it's not just us, by the way. This, this film was no. terribly received. I don't think it did all that well in the box office as well. Absolutely. No, we're not We're not the sole haters of this film. No. And even hate's a strong word. We're just not enjoyable. It just didn't It didn't work for us. Yeah. And um, it didn't work for a lot of people. So I understand they're going in a new direction with this one. Yeah, um, but yeah, really interesting to see who they do try and make the villain. I think um, Marvel has tried to rush to make a new Thanos for themselves, which, like, how long did the MCU start to get to the point where, like, Infinity War was, like, this massive blockbuster with all the characters and Thanos being this major villain? Like, I feel like they spent the time and they put in the effort for that to be rewarding. Um, Kang was just kind of like, oh, this this guy, look at him, he's scary. And that's, like, I'm not compelled by that. No. So, I mean, it's not, not massive news in, like, the sense that I think we all saw it coming. Exactly. It's just now we've got that confirmation from Marvel, I guess, through this. Yeah, but um, talking about villains in Marvel, here's some interesting ones. Daniel Craig is rumoured to be in talks to play uh, Marvel's Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four movie. Um, I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm not entirely sure how Daniel Craig would do. I don't know if I'd like rather a younger actor, perhaps. Obviously, Daniel Craig is a brilliant actor, um, and Doctor Doom is a fantastic character, but is very beloved in the comics. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do the costume because obviously he wears masks a fair bit of the time. So I don't know if they want to be showing off Daniel Craig's face as much or something like that. Um, but yeah, certainly interesting news to hear about and having a, a massive, uh, villain introduced who is massive in the comics. Um, and like a lot of the TV series and stuff like that as well, played by such a significant actor is, is huge news. Yeah. I think that's an interesting one, especially given the Easter egg that we've seen in the Deadpool 3 trailer with, um... The Secret Wars uh, comic book being seen in one of the shots of Deadpool on the ground. And so I think Marvel are really trying to get us excited about the idea of Doctor Doom 
being a major part of the MCU going forward. I think Daniel Craig's a great choice. You know I'm a huge fan of the Bond films that, yeah. he, that he stars in and other films that he's done, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and films like that. He um, has shown that he has a wide range in his acting ability and can absolutely pull off a menacing villain, in my opinion. So I think I agree with you. I wonder the longevity of Doctor Doom being played by Daniel yeah. Craig, but would a younger um, cast be better? But I don't know. Who knows what their plans are? But if they're looking at the long term, is Daniel Craig the best choice? We'll just have to see. But I think it depends on how much they're expecting from Doctor Doom and whether we're going to get Doctor Doom as the big reveal in Avengers 5 or whether we're looking at an even longer term plan here. Yeah. I guess it's all waiting to be seen. So we just have to wait and see. But I'm definitely interested. I think that's an interesting one. Um, other news about the Fantastic Four film. So, um, Eben Moss Baccarat, he, he from The Bear, if you've watched The Bear, he is in that. He's playing Cousin. the thing. Cousin. It, um, he is playing the thing in the Fantastic Four film. Um, and he said that the character will be brought to life using CGI rather than practical effects. Um, and then Cody kind of diminished practical effects a little bit. He said um, it, it kind of comes off as like cosplay and amateur. I think that was... That might that be his direct along quote. That, those lines, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that because I think practical effects, a lot of people are huge fans of practical effects in superhero films rather than CGI. Um, I think it's interesting for the Fantastic Four films just because we have two points of references. We have the original Fantastic Four films. I feel like they were early 2000s. I can't quite remember. Um, that was obviously all practical effects. Um, and then we have the newer one, which was not as popular, um, which used CGI. So I feel like those are your two points of reference. I don't know if people rathered how they looked in either film, um, but for the time being, it's going to be CGI. And yeah. I think I think a lot of it comes down to the tone of the film as well. Yeah, those early two thousand Fantastic Four films were very family friendly, enjoyable popcorn flicks that weren't trying to be much more than that, in my opinion. Whether you just call that generic and bad. I'm not going to be the judge of that. For me, they were just enjoyable early 2000s films, right? But I think it depends on the tone of the film. If they're going for a serious long-term character, I understand the use of CGI because you want someone who... And we've seen it through characters like Hulk and despite the controversy surrounding his design in later Avengers films with um, sort of the mashup between Banner and Hulk. Yeah. Um at the end of the day, the CGI was really impressive and it was believable. That wouldn't have worked in a suit. At the end of the day, it wouldn't have. No. So I think depending on what the design they're going to go with and whether it's a darker tone of film or whether it's a lighter, family-friendly tone of film, that makes a big difference on how the CGI will look and how the character will be designed. Yeah. So I think it comes down to that, that sort of a more practical cosplay look can work in a certain scenario. But if they're going for... I think if they're going to go for a bit more serious, long-term, tense approach, something a little bit more dramatic, then I think CGI could be a better way of doing it, where you can have a better range of movement and apply the incredible technology we have. I mean, the Planet of the Apes films, even the Avengers films, we've seen characters brought to life in incredible and stunning ways using CGI. So I think it's unfair to say that practical can only look like cosplay and it looks cheap and it looks bad that i think is too far but i think people criticizing the use of cgi for characters like this is also a step too far because it can be done really well yeah. if the given time and resources and respect to the vfx artists are given 
No, I, I, I agree completely. Um, I just hope Dr. Doom isn't as much CGI as it is practical effects. I reckon his costume would look significantly better um, in practical effects. Um, but yeah, I think we've, we've talked about Disney enough for now. Let's move on to the next piece of news. The John Wick spin-off Ballerina has been delayed until June 6th, uh, 2025. So I think it was meant to release sometime this year, but it's been pushed back to next year. Um, the director, Chad, I'm sorry about this. The Halski. Zahelski um, is working with director Len Wiseman to add more action sequences. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very intrigued to see, I mean, the late Lance Riddick. Uh, it was tra- tragic, the fact that he died, yeah. um, especially before the release of John Wick 4. Um, but I'm really glad to see that Keanu Reeves, Lance Riddick, and Ian McShane are coming back. Mm. Um, but what concerns me is that this film was essentially supposed to be ready. It was going to come out this year. Well, maybe not fully ready in post-production but it's near complete and i'm guessing that early screenings and early reviews found that it wasn't quite the action spectacle that the other john wicks had been and it looks like they're going through a bit of rewrites bit of adjustment to the script and look i'd rather them take the time they need to make the film as great as the other films have been yeah so if that requires laying it till next year or for them but it is concerning to say the least that such a massive film like this is is having to add more action to a John Wick yeah, spin-off. Yeah, that was going to be my point. I don't I don't know if they're rushing back to fix the, the writing of the film, perhaps. I don't think any of the John Wick films have been, like, well-regarded for their deep and intense plots. No, of course but, not. But yeah, the action sequences, that's what you're going to see a John Wick film for. I feel yeah. like if you've got issues and it's not good action sequences, obviously it's not going to be well-received as compared to what it, to what it could be. Um, I think it's interesting with Keanu Reeves returning um for, for obvious reasons um so it'll be interesting to set, uh, see when it's set we obviously had the amazon show as well the john wick spin-off we did that was the set, continental what, uh, obviously before the john wick films yeah came the, through. the early life of ian mcshane's character yes I'm not yeah entirely sure when it was actually set but yeah so it'll be interesting to see if they, they do set in a time before the john wick films or after or what they're planning to do with it there yeah and i'm excited to see anna diamas in a role like this i think yes of course given her um involvement in no time to die she had a really impressive action sequence in that she clearly has the ability to do incredible stunt work so it'd be really cool to see her in this role but yeah it's just a bit concerning that the film is having to go through changes especially in terms of the action sequences i think that's the bit that kind of is a little bit frightening in terms of where the film is going to end up but i'm glad that it's coming out nonetheless and if they need the time to perfect it they need the time to perfect it yeah in other news as well we have tom cruise who is going to star in Alejandro Di Inaritu's next film at Warner Bros. and Legendary. So Alejandro's previous films include The Revenant and the wildly renowned Birdman. That's a big film with Michael Keaton. Yeah. Um, and look, I don't know much about what the film's about. I don't think we've had much in- information, but we know that Tom Cruise was sort of um, in heavy talks with Warner Bros. about picture deals and he's going to feature in a lot of their films. So it's really interesting to see him work with a really renowned Oscar director with The Revenant and The Birdman. I think it might be a new direction for Tom Cruise or going back to some of the other dramatic roles that he did in his earlier career. It's not a Tom Cruise film unless he's running really quickly at something or throwing himself off a plane or something ridiculous. So I don't know. I feel like there'll still be action in it. Maybe it'll just be like plot-driven action. That'll be the excuse to drive a motorcycle off a cliff or something. I don't know. I know what you mean, but we have seen him do dramatic roles in the past. Yeah, no, for sure. And so he definitely has the ability to engage in that side of his career a lot more. And 
probably the major news of the week was that the SAG Awards occurred. And we had a lot of really good results. I think a lot of people were really happy with um, Lily Gladstone winning at Best Female Actor in a Leading Role yeah. for Motion Picture. I only bring that one up first because I think it was the biggest surprise of the night. When I say surprise, it's been a neck and neck race for them. Yeah. The Oscars is literally neck and neck between them, between her and Emma Stone. And so I think Lily Gladstone winning this for the SAG Awards and Emma Stone winning for the BAFTAs. And obviously, strangely, that Lily Gladstone wasn't even nominated for the BAFTAs. Mm. I do think it's going to be a very neck and neck race. It could go either way. But I think it's really great that Lily Gladstone um, got a nomination and a win for Killers of the Flower Moon because I think uh, a lot of people will share my uh, opinion that she was fantastic in that film and the award ceremonies are showing their support of her and I think that's really great. Just to go through some of the major wins, we had Best Motion Picture Casting winning with Oppenheimer. Yep. We obviously had Best Male Actor in a Motion Picture going to Killian Murphy. Of course. And uh, Best Female Actor in a Supporting Role for the Motion Picture. Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers. She's literally sweeped at the um, awards, and it's a safe bet she has got it for the Oscars. Yep. Uh, best male actor in a supporting role, Robert Downey Jr.'s Oppenheimer. Another one I think is absolutely um, going to happen at the Oscars. Yeah. Another great one to see is that the best stunt on ensemble in a motion picture went deservingly so to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Some of the stunt work in that film is just remarkable. And then we move on to television. We have the best drama series ensemble going to Succession, an incredible cast. Uh, best comedy series ensemble going to The Bear. I'll just pause you there. Do you think The Bear is a comedy series? This has been brought up throughout the awards season. Yeah. Do you want my honest opinion? It's not a comedy. It's not a comedy. No. I will agree it's not a comedy, but then it comes down to what is a comedy because there are elements that, yes, it's not a laugh out loud, I'll laugh out loud film, but it's nature is trying to be humorous. I think I do see why it's considered that. Yeah, it's got a lot of dramatic elements to it. It's a very well done character study of a lot of the the members of the the restaurant. But I don't ever see myself laughing in that. No, the show. shows traumatize me whenever I walk into a restaurant. I just see like a chef and I'm like, this poor fella. This guy's <laughs> To be fair, if I see a chef I want to go, cousin. Yeah. <laughs> cousin. Yeah, no. Um so like I don't know. I can see like the attempts to make comedy. And I'm not saying that it's not funny in the sense that like the writing's yes. fantastic and I don't want to take away from that by saying like it's stupid to call it a comedy. Cause like But would you say it's a drama then? I'll say it's a drama more than a comedy. I think there's just uh, you can tell when a series is comedic versus traumatic and i yeah. feel like the it's a pretty split like differentiation here where like you can see the big bang theory is a comedy series and like i'm not comparing yeah. the big bang to the bear but you know like i feel like there's enough comedy series that do have dramatic elements that perhaps none this year at the very least that could compare to it um yeah but i find it's funny that they they put in a category of comedy when you're going up against like shows like succession um which would yes. be a very tough competition. And I I have heard about the um controversy around it as well. People are saying like it's ridiculous that they're calling it comedy. But yeah, I don't know. I just thought it'd be funny to talk about because that show it's, is traumatizing. I don't know. There are moments I find funny, but then ultimately I'm not laughing out loud at the show. But then I don't know what the 
awards ceremonies consider a comedy? Like what? I think comedy is very subjective as well. And it can be very difficult for someone might find something really funny and enjoy it. And someone might not find something funny, but still enjoy it as much as well. And I think that that makes it really hard to sort of judge that for best drama series ensemble, uh, sorry, best comedy series ensemble, are you judging someone for how much they make you laugh? Or are you judging someone for how good their performance is in an ensemble? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I think that comes down to what the voting um, information is given, what voting information is given to uh, the voters of sure. the said award ceremony. And then we have best male actor in a TV movie or miniseries. We have Stephen Young for Beef. And that one has been uh, kind of secured across the board. And you have best female actor in a TV movie or miniseries going to Ali Wong, also in Beef. Best female actor in a drama series. You have uh, Elizabeth Debicki in The Crown. And I've, I've heard her performance is phenomenal. I haven't actually seen The Crown myself, but I know people who have seen it have said that's an absolutely deserving win. And you have Best Male Actor in a Drama Series going to Pedro Pascal. Best Male Actor in a Comedy Series, you have Jeremy Allen White for The Bear. And of course, Ayo Itabiri in The Bear for Best Female Actor in a Comedy Series. And one that I think is really great as well is Best Stunt Ensemble in a TV Series going to The Last of Us, which, of course, incredible um, action-adventure uh, TV show. So I think the SAG, SAG Awards were good. Not a lot of big surprises other than I would say Lily Gladstone, yep. given that Emma Stone has sort of been dominant in the later half of the awards season. But I'm really glad that a lot of these uh, shows won, and congratulations to the winners and, of course, the nominations as well. Yeah, and um, speaking of The Bear, Season 3 has begun filming, so we're going to as... see them back at it again, traumatizing me while trying to make me laugh once again. Um, <laughs> the most confusing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to feel. No, I'm, I'm excited for it. I love The Bear. I think it's fantastic. It um, is great. It's great. So, yeah, excited for that one there. Um, in other news, there was a new trailer for Boy Kills World, um, which... It's had a limited release already last year. But yeah, so that that has got a release for April 26th in theatres. Um, it stars Bill Skarsgård, has Jessica Roth as well, um, and directed by Maritz Moore. I hope I said that right. Um, it just it just looks like a action, R-rated action film, um, fighting a dystopian government, la-di-da. <laughs> um, but it does look good. The action looks uh, intriguing. And Bill Skarsgård's uh, great Bill Skarsgård's well. good, yeah. He's really cool. So, yeah. um, I've got hopes for it. I'll go see it. I'm not sure it's going to be like, you know, film of the year or anything like that, but I think it'll be a good R-rated uh, action film if that's what you want to watch. Um, other news, changing the tone a fair bit, Bridget Jones 4 is set to begin filming in May with Renee Zellweger. Zellweger. Zellweger, sorry. Um, so, quite a different theme from Boy Kills World, but for people who do love the Bridget Jones series, um, there's a fourth one. And I think films. people have kind of been expecting this for a while. I think there's been a lot of rumors that they wanted to go further with the series yeah and now it's just confirming that they are going to begin filming this year and that uh renee will return in the leading role yeah i can't say i've seen a single bridget jones film i've seen them in the background because they're they have been on in my family before no I, I, I haven't sat down and watched them myself. i think i think there's a demographic that loves them um so they'll be excited to see that for sure yeah definitely um um and i think we have our final piece of news one that you're really excited for i am um, do you want to ask you this one? Yeah, so Prime Video will start filming Blade Runner 2099 in April. It is set in the future after the events of Blade Runner 2049, which is genuinely one of my favourite films. 
Uh, I think Blade Runner 2049 is incredible. I think Blade Runner, um, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner is incredible as well. I think both films are phenomenal pieces of sci-fi. I don't know what to expect with Prime Video making this. That's the only bit that scares me. Nothing against Prime Video. But what Denis did with Blade Runner 2049, and we're going to get on to what he did with June as well, but Denis a master, and he absolutely nailed that sequel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> it's phenomenal. No, it's right? good. It's a good, it's a fantastic film. It's a, I'll give it's you a that. It's a good film. film. It's really great. And I'm really excited to see them go forward with the Blade Runner series. I want to see more Blade Runner. I you, think the world is incredible. So you're you're excited to see more of it. I thought I am. I feel like when I've got a like a piece of media that I hold dear to me, I'm like, don't touch it. It's sacred. But I will Leave always it it have is. 2049. Yeah, I will always have that. I'm not saying I want them to go further with in terms of um, Deckard and well Harrison Ford's character and Ryan Gosling's character. I'm not saying I want a direct continuation but I want to spend more time in that world because I think okay. the world is really good. And I think with the right studio and the right filmmakers behind it, they can do a lot with that world. There's a lot of substance there. Yeah. It's just like Star Wars where you can have sort of spin-off or different stories like Rogue One and it turned out really well. Yeah. You, you could, we've had instances where that hasn't worked in Star Wars. But what I'm saying is I think Blade Runner, if they control that IP and the world that that is, and spend a lot of time developing an interesting story with really great filmmakers. And I trust them to find these people that can make an engaging story in this world. Mm. I'm really excited to see what they do with that. Because it could be really good. The only thing that concerns me is I don't want some straight-to-streaming TV show. Or I don't want something like that. I want to go into a movie theater and experience the IMAX of Blade Runner that I did before. The fact that it's Prime Video makes me think that's not going to happen. I reckon it's going to be something to do with the streaming realm. Yeah, but I absolutely want to see Blade Runner come back, but they need to do it right, and they need to appreciate the fact that this is a big spectacle that people want to see. Yeah, um, the only other thing that might be concerning and definitely might reiterate the fact that it'll go straight to streaming is that the sequel to Blade Runner wasn't that popular in cinemas. It, it wasn't. It wasn't a box office hit, you're right. Yeah, so that might be something that they have to consider when they're creating this. I know it's got a, a fan base now since then, Um Obviously, you've got someone here raving about it. Um, <laughs> give, give him an hour and he'll keep going. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I would be concerned about for sure is that since it didn't do all that well, there is definitely like justification from the money point of view to just put it straight on streaming. I agree. I just hope that Amazon then, if they have the ability to make something in the Blade Runner universe, make something that's straight stream, make it a smaller, uh, smaller budget, smaller production TV show set in the same world. I also just hope you keep that quality, keep that that intrigue, the the themes of identity, the themes of um, loneliness, that the the themes that we see throughout the Blade Runner series, and some of the beautiful kind of storytelling and visuals that you see in this series. You have to have that because if you can bring that to streaming, all power to you, absolutely. Because I get it that these these companies want to promote their streaming services. And they want to generate more revenue off user subscriptions. I get that. But you need to keep that or else you don't, you shouldn't be making it. Because if it doesn't live up, you're not going to gain any more subscribers through of Blade Runner fans. Because if the reviews come out as terrible, people are just going to go back to the original or go back to the sequel. Sure. And I'll, I'll cut you off there because otherwise we'll, we'll have you keep going for an hour. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about some of the new releases that are coming out or have come out. 
Um, so June part two is uh, to release the 28th of February, which is which technically... Which is now. You can go see it now. Yeah, it's, go. it's tonight for when we're recording this, but it is it will be out by the time that this is released. And for our listeners, I'm going tomorrow, and I'm also going again this week. So I'll see it twice yeah. before Toby and I give you our thoughts on the film next week. So look forward to that in next week's episode. We're going to do a big episode on our thoughts of the film, and we're really excited to get into it because... It's safe to say, I think this is probably the most anticipated film of our year. Just about, yeah. It was it was set to release last year, was it not? It was. Yeah, yeah, so yeah it's I was, been heavily delayed. I was super keen for it then, um, but yeah, I think pushing it back, it always makes you just go like, come out already. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. The the Gentleman Spin-Off TV show is also set to come out the 7th of March on Netflix. Um, it's created by Guy Ritchie. Oh, was is this one created by Guy Ritchie? It is created by Guy sure. Ritchie. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying he was involved in every episode, but the story, yeah. the... the, the tone of the show was created by him it is his show um but it is a spin-off so it's not related to any of the characters yeah, we saw in the original film but that is coming to netflix and i'm looking forward to that one because i thought the first film was really great yeah no i i love the gentleman it's a funny film it's, it's a good film i also just find it interesting when just going back to oh, i probably shouldn't do this for the sake of the listeners going back to the blade runner when you're talking about world building the the world building of the gentleman isn't like as different to our own world as compared to the likes of blade runner or even uh, like the John Wick spin-off show that we saw and stuff like that. So I, I don't know necessarily if you could have just created this as its own IP and just had Guy Ritchie's name tagged along. I think it could have done just as well, perhaps. But even in the trailer stuff, they're not advertising it as related to the film. I think it's just a similar tone and maintaining that idea of the, these are uh, these sort of gangs of if the you know the United Kingdom and how they interact with each other, and I think I'm not sure whether the drug business is going to come back. Sure. I've been trying to sort of steer away from a lot of the news surrounding the story because I want to go in fresh. Yeah. But I think Guy Ritchie at the helm, he can do a lot with these stories, and especially the gang stories. We've seen it with Lockstock and all those films. Really excited to see what he does with Netflix sure. money behind him. Yeah. Um. Speaking of Netflix as well, Spaceman starring Adam Sandler is releasing this Friday, so that's the oh, 29th. I don't know dates. Um. On the 1st. 1st of March. First of March, sorry. Um, yeah, so that that's coming out. Yeah, we'll also be watching that one, and we'll we'll bring our um, reviews on it. We will, probably yeah, not we'll next week. Because obviously, we're going to be talking about June two, perhaps the week after, if there's no other films that we feel like talking about. Um, but yeah, that's that's other news. If you just like watching streaming stuff, they'll be immediately available on Netflix. And we also have the first two episodes of the Shogun TV series that we started talking about a few episodes ago. Um, that is now available on Disney Plus, and I think for in Hulu, on Hulu for um, listeners overseas. But that is available on Disney Plus now. At least the first two episodes are, and I'm sure it'll be likely a weekly release after that. But the earlier reviews have been very positive. People are saying it has the possibility to be sort of a new Game of Thrones. It's really got that that amount of hype surrounding it, and I'd be very interested to see what, what where it goes. But we are definitely going to watch this one, and we'll definitely give you our thoughts on it as well. Sure. Um, and then the final piece of news we have for you is the presenters for the Oscars have been announced. So obviously some big names here. Um, do you want to run through these? Yeah. So well, we I'll run you through a few of the names, but we have people like Mahashala Ali, Nicholas Cage, Brendan Fraser, Jamie Lee Curtis, Matthew McConaughey, Al Pacino, Zendaya, Michelle Yeoh, of course, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Sam Rockwell, I could go on for ages, but we have a really good list of presenters here. The Oscars always bring in the top people yep. for their um, award show. And look, just because it's big names doesn't mean all the skits and all the jokes and stuff land. We've seen it absolutely not work in the past. 
But I think it's cool to see that we have a lot of people wanting to be involved in the Oscars. And I think it could be a really fun watch, especially with uh, big names like this behind it. Sure. Thank you very much for listening to the news. And we'll be back after the break to bring you our thoughts on the first June film by Denis Villeneuve. Stay tuned for more. Welcome back to the next segment of the show. We will be discussing Denis Villeneuve's 2021 film, Dune, starring Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, and Oscar Isaac. Toby, look, we have seen so many sci-fi films adapted from books and comic books and all that sort of thing before. Why does the first Dune film stand out to you? Um, it's, it's Star Wars, but good. It's... Is the joke oh. I always make? No, no, no. Okay, I, I, I enjoy Star Wars. I'll actually, I'll say it's, it's the politics of it that I like. It's one of the same reasons that I actually really enjoy the prequels of Star Wars. Is just that it's not just like mindless action. That's not to say any Star Wars is mindless action. I'm, I am joking about Star Wars. I enjoy enough of the franchise to say it's a good franchise. Good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely like the politics of it, and it's the same reason that a lot of people don't like it is that it's slow and methodical, and it, and it sets time. For your, for you to get adjusted to the world, and then to understand the world, and then to understand the characters within that world, and I just think it does all those elements so vividly and so well, um, as compared to a lot of other sci-fi films that we do see. And like, I, I feel like I'm allowed to talk a little bit of spark about the the sequels to Star Wars a little bit more. Um, you got three films that you're spending time with these characters, and in a world that you've already developed, and and I'm lost in it. Like, I'm, I don't understand certain things. They're they're like taking back things that they said have been canon before and stuff like that so that kind of throws you around i feel like since this film is just it's set it's slow and it gives you time to understand everything it just makes it all the more better yeah absolutely i think i i I disagree with your statement on that it's a good star wars i think it's star wars has got its good moments and i just think june has its great moments i'll be honest with you and i know you know this june was one of my top it was in my top 10 films of all time for a while. And it probably still is. I need to sort say, of what bumped it out? <laughs> go through my list a bit more. Yeah. But um, it definitely was at one point. Uh, I really loved this film when I first saw it. I saw it multiple times in theaters. I absolutely adore the cinematography from Greg Frazier. The direction of Denis Villeneuve and the cast were incredible. But I think the essence of the film is that it has everything I want from a sci-fi adventure film it has a rich lore and it has an emotional story this journey of Paul Atreides is really great and we see about he no he has multiple multiple birthrights he's trying to find his sense of identity he's trying to um manage the political landscape of the world in June and the fact that they get given this well they they get the ability to inhabit the dune which is um arrakis and they they take over this place and they have to sort of build it up but of course they've been stunted they've been shafted yeah and i think this is such an incredible story story to tell and Obviously, a lot of that goes to Frank Herbert's novel, but I also think the adaptation was really great. And I know a lot of people say there's differences and there's moments they don't touch on in the uh, film. It's as bound much. to happen. The, the book's massive. Um, Absolutely. But I think what comes across on screen is so 
cinematic. It says a lot with the visuals. You don't need a lot of dialogue. You don't need all the crazy action set pieces. As much as you get some beautiful set pieces and some incredible action, those aren't the key moments for me. The key moments for me are these moments between characters. And that especially comes from uh, Paul Atreides' father. I think Oscar Isaac has a lot of great moments in the first film. I think uh, Duncan Idaho has a really great bond with Paul Atreides' character. Um, and ultimately, there's, it's one of the films that sometimes when I, th- when I look back on a film, I think, what would I do differently? Especially when I've rewatched the film multiple times. Dune is the one film that there is not a lot I would change. When people say it's a slow burn, when people say there's not enough going on, I absolutely disagree. I think there's a lot to be said for the first film. I think there's a lot going on. And I think every character has something to them that I find interesting and that I want to see develop. And it's not often that that I finish a film and go, I want to see so much more in this world. Besides certain franchises like Dune and Blade Runner, as we previously mentioned. But Dune is absolutely one of those that part two is needed. Yeah. Given how it ends. And I think it, we will talk about spoilers in this discussion because it has been out, you know, came out in 2021. But um, it ends in a way that I think, unlike other films like Across the Spider-Verse, it doesn't end on, it ends on a cliffhanger, but it feels complete. Yeah. I, I, I watch the end of June and I see him kind of becoming a member of the Fremen. Yeah. And about to embark on this secondary journey of his life. He's had this initial journey of, discovery of having this birthright of trying to find who he is and now that's kind of been thrown off in a way through his involvement in our in arrakis in the dunes but i think it's going to be really exciting to see where the story takes paul and i'm really excited for the second film for that reason sorry i know i spoke a lot but i just had to say a lot of those things that i think it has a lot to say from a story and storytelling point of view. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm trying not to repeat anything that you said. You've kind of summarized how I feel about the story as well. I'll go a little bit more into like the world building um, when sure. talking about the plot and stuff like that. What I perhaps, and this would have just made the film longer, so I know lots of people would disagree. I find it hard to immediately grapple with a lot of the politics of it, even though they spend so much time with it. Um, like you have the, I'm going to butcher the all these things, the emperor, yep. um, and then like all these other clans and stuff like that. And I feel like it's, this might be why people find it difficult to watch is because the slow burning parts of the film are introducing a lot of these characters and like showing their significance within the world. There's also, I know they're the witches, I forget what they're called as well. Um, but like the religious group as well. I feel like these are kind of people that I want to spend more time with. And I think that's what we're going to see in the sequel. Thank you. Bene Gesserit? That's yes. I, You can say anything to me, I'll believe you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think these are the type of parts of the world that I want to spend more time with and obviously you can't do that the film people are already complaining about how long it is which I disagree with as well I, I firmly stand that it's a perfectly length film yeah um, but I'm hoping in the sequel we see a little bit more of that um, as for the first film I don't know how you would introduce more of it so I can't say I can complain about it as a plot point because it's perfectly length and the time that we do spend with those elements is really important too um, I know that you obviously love the cinematography of the I film do, I do well, I agree Fraser with you incredible the one thing that i will nitpick on is there's a point in the cgi i can't remember when it exactly is there i think it's a vision of the future really? where he's a part of the army the cgi is a little bit off okay um it just it just comes off we obviously they got like the blue-eyed fremen and stuff yeah. like that and they put the, the blue eyes on 
Timothy Chalamet. I, I feel like that's one of the things that talking about CGI and uh, practical effects. Put some contacts in. He can be blind for half a scene. It's not going to ruin the ruin his acting performance. Um, but yeah, it just comes off as like I don't know if it's meant to look kind of like dreamy because it is a dream sequence. I think it is. I think um, it's very much from his perspective, and that's why it's sort of shot in that way. Yeah, but I I feel like I I would disagree if that was a conscious choice. Of course, no, 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 absolutely. Uh, but if, it, if it, either way, if it was unconscious, I think it looks a bit weird. If it was a conscious choice, I think it's a bit weird. Like I would have just made it look a little bit more practical. Totally. Um, and that's that's probably like my only criticism visually otherwise because I think the film is brilliant. It's cinematic, beautiful. Sure, you got a lot more to say than me being a film student. <laughs> you know the camera work a lot better than me. Well, so, so what are some of your favorite sequences? What stands out to you when, you when you're looking back at this film? Because what I'm trying to understand is what do you what do you think we should see in the next film? What what was the part of the first film? What was a sequence or a character or a moment that you'd love to see develop further or see more of that? It's a really good question. Um, I have I have three for you that I can remember quite vividly. Obviously, the introduction to to the dunes, um, like visually stunning. I mean, it's a, it's a desert, but but still, it was like it was stunning, and like you understand this world immediately. Like it's barren. It's it's harsh conditions, and I just thought like the sequence. I think they were flying in. Um, yes, that sequence. I thought that was yeah. really good. And I'll, I'll continue. This is one point five. Is the the sequence where the um the sifter that's getting the spices from the sand when that starts to break down. I thought that's a brilliant sequence as well. Yes, um, it is. but that that goes into the introduction of the world. So I'm I'm putting that in one category. That's not two things. Uh the second one is um the the throat singing army. I don't know what they're called. Um, but they go to the the other planets where the they pick up the army to then raid the oh yes i thought that sequence was it was yeah. such a like contrast, contrast to what you see like it's it is June, it's beautifully set up yeah the june planet is like bright and red and orange and yellow yeah. and then you go to the other place and it's black and white and it's it's very dark and grim um and i just thought that was a very good like contrasting of like here's this side here's this side yeah and you can see you can learn a lot about the different clans through visuals not through telling you didn't have they didn't have to say look we're this this type of uh, people you could see through the the world that that greg Frazier and Denis Villeneuve creates yeah. that that is that is who they are and i might be wrong about this but i i think i remember the only like sequence of color being in that black and white army thing was it was blood red was it not yeah yeah so i think that's obviously also like a very good way to show like brutality out of it like black and white except for blood like that's um, so yeah. I thought that was obviously a, a beautiful sequence. And then the final one, which is um, a bit different, is when they're actually running away from the fight and they end up in that underground um, cabin where Aquaman dies. Yes. Yeah. I really like that sequence. Because of course, I forgot the characters. Duncan Idaho dies. I'll let him have Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he there are some Dune fans listening to this right now who are losing their minds <laughs> at us. I, I haven't watched the film in a while, so the names... I can remember Paul because... Paul. Like... <laughs> Um, it's, it's Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho, yeah. Aquaman dies in the desert. I thought yeah, that was a good sequence. That was as well, a good sequence. Um, and it's just like underground desert. I think it's just it's just cool conceptually as well. So I think that definitely adds to it. Um, but yeah, those those are probably my three picks that I d- distinctly remember. I didn't watch it again this week because it's not available or anything. Curses. Um, <laughs> that's why you need the 4K Blu-ray. That's why you need 4K Blu-ray. Yeah, <laughs> get physical copies of things, guys. Um, but yeah, I I remember enough those sequences. I like remember vividly and I, I think it's stunning but i'm sure you've got a lot more to say camera work wise and like what you appreciate in the film yeah i think for me well i'll start off with with my favorite sequence and then i'll sort of talk to you about sort of the filmmaking aspects but i think uh for me it's this um part where you see the sandworm for the first time approaching 
the um the the mining of the the spice on the on the surface because what happens is you're learning a lot about the world that is being created through the um the judge of the change kind of running them through what is going on um but i think the bit for me is the little details like when i was watching it back especially with you know the dolby atmos and all that and i was hearing the voices over the radio of the people in the the um sort of what would you call it the land uh, crawler uh, something like that they do minor, call it minor the, farming machine the or farming machine once again anyway. we're annoying all the junior hardcore fans right yeah we are it's called this I, we apologize to those people um yeah it's bad i should know what it's called but but that that machine and you hear the voice of the people inside and some of the stuff they're saying and it's this immersive atmosphere that and you know and the way that when um the the king decides to go and save them the the wings flap in and all the sound cuts off besides the wind and you just get this moment where they're dropping down and it's silent besides you know sort of the rush of the wind and you feel the tension that all the characters are feeling that they're either gonna they're gonna lose one of their remaining harvesters they're going to lose one of their remaining harvesters and they're going to lose some of their their, their miners, the, the people who can run these machines. And they also realize that they have been left dodgy equipment by the Harkonnens. So it, this you're getting so much in terms of story in one scene. And the, obviously you learn about Paul's sort of abilities and the voices that he hears. And um, you also hear, see his bravery, his ability to yeah, care for others. The fact that he goes and he instantly tries to run to the to get the 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 people in harvesters to come in on the ship. That's what I'll first say. And you learn that there is this, um, and I, I don't I don't know. I just found it had a lot going on in that sequence. Yeah, and especially from a visual and sound point of view, because I think a lot of a lot of the testament to the film comes from the sound. What Hans Zimmer's score did for that film was incredible. You know, and and I think upon rewatch, one scene that really stood out to me was when they first arrive are sort of flying over the city in a, in uh the dune you hear this like these like drums or i'm sure they're not drums i'm sure there was something a little bit more niche than that but the just that sound gave you this feeling of we're in a new world we never heard sounds like this on the mainland of of um the atreides um clan but when they go to the dune it's a completely different soundtrack it's a new score using sounds that you've never heard put to cinema before, that Haas did an incredible job with that. And I think that that paid with Greg Frazier's incredible use of wide shots, appropriate use of handheld when needed. But I think there's very little handheld in the film. And I think that that creates for a smooth, really smooth, immersive experience. Um, but I love how he's not afraid to get really close on characters. And I especially noticed that when Rebecca Ferguson and Timothy Chalamet are in the tent um, under one of the sand dunes. He's not afraid to get really close on these characters. He's not afraid to allow you to see the incredible acting by the entire cast. But then he contrasts that with incredible sense of scale. And that's the part of the, the film that stands out then compared to other sci-fi films for me. Is you, If you've seen Dune and you've seen other sci-fi films, you're likely going to say that Dune feels like the biggest. And by the biggest, I mean in terms of scale, complexity and scale, that Denis and Greg have um, been able to craft this immersive experience that the ships feel like massive ships. 
and the people feel like an army or a clan. They they have this incredible sense of scale. And there's not a lot of directors and cinematographers who've been able to replicate that so well. Yeah. I, I will also just say the acting is brilliant. So it is. For a, um, I don't know if you want to call it a blockbuster sci-fi film, but in yeah. like considering um, the likes of Timothy Chalamet, he's obviously fantastic. I actually... Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Timothy Chalamet before watching Dune. I, really? I always, that, he, he won you over yeah, in that film? Yeah, he won with it. I always just thought he was like... I don't want to pull this on. Obviously, Zac Efron's also a fantastic um, actor. But like, you know, the likes of High School Musical, Dreamy Boy type of stuff. And then he was in Dune. I'm like, this is a powerful performance. He's done fantastic. Um, so yeah, obviously the actors really brought it through as well. They were fantastic in it. Um, fantastically, like, delivery of dialogue. Um, which really like made you convinced that the characters were within the world that they're in and stuff like that. So I think all of that adds with the direction and cinematography just to make the world feel all the more real. Because like as much as you can have beautiful cinema like cinematography and fantastic scenes and stuff like that, if the actors are poor, then it takes you out of the world immediately. Because you're like, they sound weird, they look weird, like that type of stuff. And costume design as well, like it all like kind of cuts up together to make this like film feel fantastic and real. It feels real, doesn't it? And in a world that shouldn't feel real i mean it's it's a sci-fi epic it shouldn't feel that real but it feels lived in and it's i think a lot of what um people love about star wars and other sort of and blade runner and other sort of sci-fi films those ones stand out because they feel lived in they feel real and june is absolutely a part of that in history now no i i think the 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 way that you said it's good like feels lived in because that's what i'm talking about with the the politics especially is that you can see when something and this is definitely more to the author the original author of the the book yeah um is that when you create such good law it definitely adds to the movie itself you can have like a separate story that's just built within the law but like if you've got all this world around it it just makes it so much more easy to enjoy yeah um, because it doesn't take you out when you're just kind of like why is like that like that it only makes sense for the story it doesn't make sense for the world um so that's that's certainly what i enjoy about it but i think you can talk about some of the negative reviews obviously i said people are complaining about how long it is i know you completely disagree with that i do agree disagree with length i there's the only thing i would say is i think the film can be restricted by the fact that it has to explain everything do you know what i mean so i think the film wants to go a lot further with the story but it has to sort of you know the moments where you're where paul's alone it's very much he's listening to information that you're also having to listen to because you don't understand the world the same as him and this isn't necessarily criticism but it's what i think um is going to allow denis to let loose on june part two is he doesn't have to necessarily explain everything again Mm. we now understand the clans we understand that there's an emperor overseeing everything that's going on we understand paul's character and the relationship between the atreides and the harkonnens and all that and i think that that's one thing with the first film where it very much I think people struggle to rewatch it sometimes because it's just sort of explaining a lot. I find a lot of value in that. I love learning little details, and I think there's a lot of visual details on top of what you're hearing through Paul and other characters. But I think that's one thing that I can say I understand the the criticism on is it also is sort of explaining a lot to you where there is times where it's treating you like someone who has no idea because you don't. But the thing is, it can also be like, this is a sandworm, this is this, this is the... And, you know... And some people don't enjoy that. They're like, I don't need everything spelled out for me. I don't want to know that. I I don't necessarily find that myself when I watch it, but I completely understand that's other criticisms that I've, I've mm-hmm. heard of the film, where it's a lot of set up and it kind of, everyone's like, oh, what? Where does it go from here? And I guess that's what June Part 2 was going to deliver. 
Yeah, I guess that's just like the exposition drop that's necessary when you're doing world building. It, it is. It's completely necessary. And it's the same in Star Wars. You have um, like Obi-Wan Kenobi being like, your father was a Jedi. Exactly. Like, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Knows. And I think that's one of those things where I think that's why people love, you know, Empire and films like that because they, they know, they, they know the, the galaxy of Star Wars now. And so Empire can really let loose on its story and you develop Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and these characters. And I think that's what I'm expecting from Dune Part 2. Sure. But that would be another thing that I'd say about the first film. Yeah. I want to ask you, how many claps would you give Dune? Oof. Um. <laughs> and I know it's not a new release. We don't normally do this for other films that we talk about. But I'm just curious. Imagine you transported back to 2021. You've just come out of the theater. What would you give it? I'd give it a nine. I'll okay. give it nine claps just just for like the genre that it's in. It's not typically the genre that I go to. I'm not like I love sci-fi. Actually, I don't know what I'm saying. That. I love sci-fi. Um, yeah, but like I find it really hard to have like a really good and like deep story with sci-fi, and that usually takes it down a notch for me. And that's why it's not a ten at the very least. Um, but yeah, maybe you're right about the exposition. Um, it's just I don't know if it's a film that I rush to rewatch all the time, just because it is a little bit harder to like. I don't want to say drudge through because it's not drudge through. Like I still enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I, I totally get that where you, where you're listening to it and go, I know the same words now. So you, you kind of, it doesn't have that rewatchability for you. Yeah. But as I said, I've, I've watched it multiple times. Like I remember when I first saw it and then someone's like, oh, let's like, have you seen this? And I was like, yeah, I'll watch it again. Like, I really don't care. Like it's, it's a good film. I'm not feeling bad about watching it again. So yeah, um, I'll go with nine claps. We'll have to see how June 2 goes. Maybe June 2 will knock it down. Cause I feel like sometimes when a sequel is just so much better, it makes the first one seem a little bit worse. I, um, I, it's interesting you say that because I would give it 10 claps. And I absolutely think that's a possibility. Yeah. Because if I come out of Dune Part 2 and go, this was so much better. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to be like, well, there must have been flaws in the first one that I didn't quite see. But but that, sorry to cut you off, but that is what I would give. No, no, ten, that's fine. Ten claps. Do we have to do something special for 10 claps? Do you have to clap all of them out? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we should. I'll, I'll put I'll put a, a, a sound in as, yeah, for something. That's the first 10 that we've, we've got. the first 10 we've get, the clap podcast has given. Yeah, that's that's big. It is. No. I think, um, and I think it's a testament to this film that I don't think we've given a film this high rating. We gave The Iron Floor an eight, and you gave it a seven, I believe. Yeah. Um, I should also say to our listeners, we uh, we've, we've had a lot of comments about why we do it out of ten and not five. I just find it's it's easy to explain. Like an eight out of ten makes a lot more a sense. Seven to versus me. an eight is like such a big difference compared to like a three or four, which is even bigger. Like, but, but like even like. So three and a half to four. I don't know. Just for me, I just enjoy saying nine out of ten. It just feels a little bit better. I don't know. Maybe it's from my old IMDb days because they're out of ten, and I think it kind of relates to that. But I know everyone's using Letterbox now, so that's a bit different. That doesn't, it's still out of ten. It's you got half stars. It's, oh, exactly. So no, it is. But I just I, a lot of people uh, have sort of said, why don't you do it out of five? And it's just I think it comes down to uh, when I used to use IMDb, they used to give things out of ten, so it's just kind of stuck. Yeah, we start doing like nine point. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so before we sort of end this episode, I want to ask you, what are you most looking forward to about Dune Part 2? Why do you think it's going to be, why do you think it's getting the incredible early reviews that it is? Why is it going to be exciting? Uh, um, I'll start by saying, I think it's drawing in a lot of people is because the cast is so massive. Like, yes. Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, their names alone will bring people to the cinemas. Like, they're huge. And the additions of Austin... I've heard a lot of great things about Austin Butler. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would love it if he does that. Oh, I'm, I'm keen to see him, like, cut someone's head off. And- Starts doing a hound dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, obviously the names is what's bringing people in. And, and the first one... It was well-received. As much as I've said people are complaining about how long it is, I think a lot of people really enjoy it. Yes. Um, I think 
the reason that people it's got such big raves is, i mean it's a massive film for starters so the marketing is going to be huge for it um i can't i can't really say what it is i think since it's a part two you're always going to get more people coming in to watch it from yeah like the initial one um cinematography is obviously stunning i feel like people usually underappreciate that though in comparison perhaps it's just a story people are really compelled by the characters but I, I don't know what i can say what i'm really excited for is to see the conclusion of the story essentially i love the world i love the characters um i think there should be some good action sequences which i'm really excited for um because big cgi fights are always exciting i think there's gonna be a lot of practical fights too yeah uh, mixed in there as well yeah i agree so that's 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 all what i'm excited for i think there's lots of good reasons to go in i can't say like one thing specifically just because it's such a exciting um movie yeah i think I'm, I'm very similar i think for me i'm really excited to see the story really let because of the sort of things i was saying about the first one being restricted by having to sort of explain the law and things like that i think Denise gonna have the ability to just let loose and go right let's tell this story of paul we don't need to explain who anyone is anymore let's just let loose we're going to see some incredible action i'm sure we're going to really delve into the fremen in a much deeper way now that paul is sort of at least as far as we were at the end of the last film going in that direction with the fremen and i'm really really excited to see the new additions in terms of austin butler and leia sadu and um the emperor making an appearance as well yeah so there's a lot to be said about the story that i'm excited for but i think as well seeing the action spectacle that the june part two can offer it is um it's got a bigger budget than the first one yeah i'm saying budget is anything but um i definitely think uh that says that it's gonna have a lot more action and it's obviously got a lot more characters in it but ultimately i'm really i'm really excited i think um these characters have the potential to be really fascinating and have incredible arcs. And I think um, that is what we're going to get from Denis because he is a master of what he does. Yep. And one of my favorite filmmakers, and he's going cre- to... <laughs> I'm going in with no expectations. No, no, of course not. It'll <laughs> um, bomb. It'll be terrible, calling it. I'll just finish off with one question for you. Yes. Um, the first film earned $434.8 million Yes. At the total box office. I want your predictions now. At the end of its box office run, how much do you think June Part 2 is going to make? Oh, gosh, okay. I, I know that it's hard to guess, but I just thought it'd be fun. What What do you think it'll make? So the first one, $434 million total. Off a, off a budget of $165. I'm not going to lie. I think it'll do similar. I think it'll Really? Be, yeah. I, I just... Cinemas... Currently, oh, did you see the, how long the queue was for me to get tickets to IMAX? Yeah, IMAX people are crazy. That's different to, <laughs> to the average viewer. Hey, like, no, right. no, no. I, I'm just saying, like, compared to like, obviously IMAX is going to bring in money, but compared to like your your average cinema goer, they're the ones that are really going to see it. And Even after all the people we know with with early access screenings and yeah, do the double features, we know and... people who like cinema. It's such a biased yeah. um, like group to look at. I feel like I could talk to people who I do like my course with. Then they're not rushing out to see it. I know. Okay, fair. So you so you think around the same? I can. Oh, I think we'll do better. I'm not going to say. It. I think we'll do a little bit better. But I think just the way that cinema is working right now, I don't think it's going to do like so brilliantly. But I hope it does. I obviously hope it does. Fantastic. I, I'm excited for it. And maybe I'll be completely wrong, but yeah, that's just my prediction. I think maybe so five hundred. A five hundred. Yeah, five hundred. Okay, I'm gonna go higher because I think the marketing campaign, the fact that it was delayed from last year, 
the cast, the, the, the growth in the cast, the amount of publicity it's getting, marketing, the, the limit, the limited number of other releases we're, we're seeing. Yeah. Makes a big impact. I'm going to go 700 million. Okay. Yeah. I think it has the ability to go further. I think if Jurassic World Dominion can earn a billion, June part two That's can. That's a fair point. I, I forget about that. June part two can. I mean, last year we saw, was it Mario just got to a billion? I feel the difference is between these two films is that they're for kids as well. I agree. But what I'm saying is I think there is a lot to be said about a major cast and great publicity and incredible early reviews. I mean, we're looking at a 97% at the moment of Rotten Tomatoes, an average of 4.5 on Letterboxd. We're not talking about a film that is just popular but not getting great reviews. We're talking about a film that is critically acclaimed and audiences are really enjoying it as well. Hmm. So ultimately, I'm going to go 700 million, I think, but I think it has the potential to go higher. But it'd be very interesting to see. Right, not, to, not to extend this any further, we'll do it nice and quickly though. What do you reckon you're going to give it claps wise at the end we'll, we'll do a prediction now before our, our next episode i think it's going to be a 10 claps for me 10 okay i think if the first film has the ability i trust i need to deliver another fantastic sure. film i'll go with nine again i'll go with two nines we'll see yeah all right all right there are predictions thank you so much for listening to the clap podcast this week uh we we know it was very june centric but i think that's the major film coming out this this at uh, this week um we thank you very much for listening to the new segment as well Please keep listening to the Clap Podcast and feel free to share us on any platforms. We are going to deliver more episodes for you next week. Our focus will be on June Part 2. Um, we will also be talking about Denis Villeneuve next week and going through all of his films and giving our thoughts on all of those because he's one of my favorite filmmakers. We may also have a special guest for next week, so we'd like to um, show you that the Clap Podcast is looking at expanding. It's forced and in incorporating. There. I have... I have <laughs> Let's see if it happens. Let's see if it happens. But we're just saying that we're, we're excited to get other people onto the show to give more than just our thoughts. It's Timothy Chalamet. Spoilers. If it was Timothy Chalamet, that'd be very exciting. But sorry to disappoint you, it's not Timothy Chalamet. But it's someone very close. He's more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very excited to bring him on the show. But thank you very much for listening to the Clap Podcast and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.